If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How you doing there? It's uh, the Thursday podcast. Hope all is well. How are you, Head? I'm good. I'm good. How was your week? My week has been all right. I'm, I'm getting bored now. I'm going to the Hollywood. Bored? I'm going to Hollyers in a couple of weeks' time. I'm going to Hollyers. Sorry, I thought it was me that was No, boring. it's never you. It's always me, John, the breakup. It's never you. It's me. It's me. It's, me, it's you. Like, I've changed. Look You've changed. Nothing to do with you. I've changed. I've changed. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm actually going. I'll meet Jolliers uh, next week to Croatia. Yeah. We will continue to podcast. Yes, yeah, so absolutely we yeah, will. Uh, and we will try and dull the sound. You'll the be crickets. up in the attic with the church bell The church bell, the away. crickets, uh, by the way. When I go on my holidays to Croatia, which I go every year, John goes mad. Because it's in a small little village and we live beside the church. And they love our half hour, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And then there's crickets and then there's Croats roaring and shouting at each other out the window. So it'll give you a, a sort of an ambient, it's like it's like a Brian Eno record. Yes. Ambient music. Yeah. And it'll give you the ambient Croatian Here thing. comes the warm jets. There comes the warm jet. That was, yes, that was yeah. one of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So I'm good. Actually, this month is the 60th anniversary of an amazing book called The Death and Life of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs. And I am rereading it. All right. As we speak. It's oh, that, tell us. Give us a, give us a, a so, tracy of it. Well, you know, the other... The I'm other, not going to read it. The other, <laughs> I know, I do all the reading. The other week we were talking about... Dunleary and towns and cities. Well, Jane Jacobs was this extraordinary urbanist. She was originally from New York, but mm-hmm. left the United States to live in Canada during the Vietnam War as protest. Okay. A bit like, do you know Naomi Klein? Yes. The Canadian. Ooh, yes. Yeah, Canadian, very left-wing writer. Her parents the same. So there's a lot of yeah. American sort of uh, anti-establishment folk who went to Canada. Yeah. Anyway, Jane Jacobs, it's all about how cities should live. And her whole idea is the city is a complex living organism and that density is the key. So do you remember the great French, I think he was Swiss French, but maybe French architect Le Corbusier. Le Corbusier's idea that humans should all live in these huge 
big remote towers with no real sense of urban life. And right. Jane Jacobs was the opposite of that, right? Mm. She was saying that urban life is essential. Anyway, the point is, John, it's a fantastic read. And it's, she says things like, for example, that, you know, the police force is not what keeps you actually safe. It's other humans. So she talked about the great ballet of the street, the waltz and ballet of the street, of right. people yeah, coming yeah, out yeah. of various different times. It should be high density. It doesn't have to be high in terms of height. Anyway, it's a great book and I'm rereading it. Maybe I should do a podcast on it. Her name has cropped up on numerous podcasts, but actually maybe it would be nice to focus in on her thesis itself. Actually, what we would do is we'll get a Jane Jacobs expert, which is not you and me, and we'll talk to them. But yeah. apart from that, I'm worried about banks. Yes, aren't we all? We are going, well, exactly. <laughs> we are going to investigate. We are going to do, as the Americans say, a deep a dive. And unpack it, maybe? And unpack. Our state is about to sell Bank of Ireland for half the price it's worth. And on this podcast, I want to figure out why is that? What's the real story behind it? Do you know where we'll go then? Where we go? The West Lower. Oh. Where's Tarkin? I'm now going to talk to Rory Gillen, who has been analysing the Irish financial scene for quite a number of years now and always, always got an interesting take And he published an interesting piece in his newsletter recently asking the question, the state, you'll probably be aware, is selling Bank of Ireland. And Rory's saying it's selling Bank of Ireland, but it's selling it very cheaply. In fact, it's selling it almost at half price at the moment. Why is that? Why now? All those sort of questions. Interestingly, is there a link, and I'm going to take this in a minute, between the timing of selling Bank of Ireland and Bank of Ireland taking over Davies. But that's another issue. Rory Gillen, how are you? Good. Thank you, David. Thank you for ha- having me on. Not at all. Now, tell me, tell me, what do you think is going on with Bank of Ireland? Explain to me, you, you've written a piece that Bank of Ireland too cheap for state sale now. Yeah, well, the, I mean, you know, you, anyone who is in the investment circles, Dave, the, you know, and providing investment advice, you know, has to really understand how to place an intrinsic value on any company. Uh, intrinsic value is, is a, very, a very important concept. And it's one that pro- business people will know readily. And in the stock market, what it means is that often share prices uh, are very volatile and often they don't reflect the intrinsic value that you'd pay if you were a private owner. So private equity, for example, private equity uh, buyers or investors would understand how to place an intrinsic value and they'd pay no attention to the gyrations in the stock market in terms of valuing the company. It would be the same as Bank of Ireland here. It's intrinsic value if you take it at a uh, an aggregate level, like the the, the actual assets on its balance sheet uh, would just be shy of $9 billion. If you put that on a per share basis, so each individual share would have an intrinsic value or a balance sheet value, that would be about eight, eight euros per share. And, you know, you, you, you can't and, say... And, well, and where the, is it now? So you say the intrinsic value... So the value share prices... Yeah, so the share price itself, which is not the balance sheet, right? Share price itself is 440. That's four euros 40. So that's a sizable discount, about a 45% discount to the actual sort of balance sheet value. And I would argue in this case that the balance sheet value is pretty close to intrinsic value. You know, how might you judge that? Yeah, well, explain that to me. Explain that, that to me. I mean, is it, is it yeah. the case you add up all the assets of the company and you divide them yes. by the number of shares and that gives you the actual intrinsic 
share value. And then if there's yeah, that- a difference between the trading share value and the intrinsic value, then you shouldn't be selling or you should be buying given how cheap or expensive it is. Yes, it's, it's something people in private business would do all the time. And um, yes, I mean, you can do it at the aggregate level, the, the balance sheet value, or you can do it on the per share level, David. So let's let's keep to the aggregate yeah. value. So if, if Bank of Ireland has a, a balance sheet value, you know, which is totting up all its assets, taking off what it's funding, its debt, and you take all other liabilities off and you'd say, well, what, what is left for shareholders? And you're getting a figure of just... Uh, shy of 9 billion at the end of December 2020 when the annual report came out or when the annual report is dated. And you say, if you if you look at the market value or the value of Bank of Ireland in the marketplace, uh, then you're saying it's just shy of 5 billion. Um, so there's a pretty big disparity there. Now, often with companies, you can say, well, if they're not doing so well, uh, if they've got uh, a lot of competition, tough marketplace, lacking profitability, you could say, well, perhaps the balance sheet value doesn't actually mean intrinsic value. You know, what would, a, what would somebody pay for this business if they were going to buy the whole thing, right? And perhaps balance sheet value is just recording a historical cost of assets, put it that way. But in the case of banks, they're actually slightly different than, than most companies because the assets on the balance sheet, a little bit like Ryanair. At the end of the day, aircraft can be sold off in a, in a world market. Aircraft are very liquid. So uh, bank loans, uh, which banks own, you know, they've lent money out. That's their main assets. They're very liquid. They can be packaged into parcels and sold off if they want. And even distressed assets, as you know, on bank balance sheets can be sold off easily. And indeed, the Irish banks, whether it's AIB, whether it's Permanent TSB and Bank of Ireland, as you know, to clean up their balance sheets, they have been selling off distressed assets for the last several years, uh, which has made their balance sheets far more dependable, robust, transparent, whatever word you like to use. So, But you know, there are other assets on the balance sheet that um, you would pay no attention to, like, uh, for example, the value of goodwill for any acquisition. They may have paid a, on a price that is too high or whatever. Or they paid an element of goodwill for it, which is over and above the, the value of the property assets or whatever. Any deferred tax, which really is just a, a computation to recognize the fact that the banks won't be paying tax for a while. So accountants have drummed up an asset that they can they say, this is, this is worth so much, we really would be worth nothing in a liquidation. And, uh, and perhaps property. They do have good property portfolios. Uh, but I myself, if I was looking at the liquidation, I, I would write off the property on the case that you'd have to pay that out of redundancy to staff. Uh, as politically unacceptable as that is, we're just doing a theoretical ca- calculation here. And so you take those off and you might say, well, that eight and a half billion of balance sheet value, uh, net balance sheet value, right, are the net value of their loans when you take off customer deposits, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I would wind that down to about um, 5.8 or 5.9 billion as money that you could actually, you know, realize in cash if you went to sell the loan Yeah, if you, sold, if you sold it in the morning. So what you're saying is that yeah. no matter how you value it, either, either yeah. a more conservative or less conservative way, right, this Bank of Ireland right now, would net the state, the taxpayer, and we're talking six, maybe 700 million euros, it's quite a lot of money, yeah. would net the state considerably less than it would if they were to wait or if they were to maybe not sell the asset at all. And the question is, why the urgency to sell Bank of Ireland now when you know that the company is being undervalued? So if you are a seller it means you're taking a slap in the face. If you were a buyer, it means you're taking a great little deal off the table. But in this case, the Irish state, i.e. the taxpayer or the seller, and the buyer is a another. That's the question. 
Yeah, I think um, I think that's the question the government has to answer, and which is I why they listen to the David McWilliams podcast, <laughs> and they do, and <laughs> they sure. do. So we're, it's a shout out. It's a shout out, lads. Answer right. No, well, let's it, but let's explore that because that's that's really the yeah. nub of the issue. So there's a black art when it comes to, as you know, valuing a company at a certain moment, and there's all sorts of assumptions you can make about why the share price is where it is, etc. But the actual crystallization of an asset when you go to sell it is you can't sell it twice. You can only sell it once, right? Mm. You can only sell it at this price. I'm asking you, why do you think, I mean, you're in the market in Dublin, you're chatting to people, there's a lot of rumor, I presume, innuendo. Why do you think now? Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I have heard the rumor, you know, or the suggestions myself that perhaps it's because they're about to buy Davy stockbrokers that um, they could be using this as um, that Bank of Ireland or that um, in some way the government is selling down at stake at that time. I, I, I don't I don't see that as an angle myself, David, for the very reason that it's Bank of Ireland is actually bank, buying Davy stockbrokers. Um, so I'm kind of... But wouldn't, wouldn't the cur- government on the basis of... Davies is such a smelly asset at the moment, wouldn't really like to be actually owning a stockbroker that is under investigation by itself, right? If you actually think of the logic, right? Even your average dude advising the government say, hold your air there a second. This is an institution that we know has at the very, very top Davies stockbrokers has at the very, very least, at the very, very least misled its clients, at the very, very least, Right. So the state doesn't want to be owning because that would be seen to reward the very people you're actually investigating. I mean, that would make sense to me. Yeah, but I think uh, I think Dave, you're you're reaching there. Yeah, I think you're you're trying to fit. I a, always a reach my friend. That's how you get <laughs> to the solutions. That's when you if you don't if you don't reach, you don't get. No, but I'm just I'm trying to understand because you and I would say that there's no there's no urgency. Interest rates are at zero. The state can borrow all day at very, very low rates. It doesn't need to net in any great tax well, take at the moment. That, that, that would be my own argument, Dave, that uh, what, what, why now? Because the government is borrowing yeah. off the ECB yeah, at, exactly. a, 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 you know, essentially zero cost, right? Um, unlimited money. And, you know, why do it now when perhaps in two or three years' time when, uh, you know, European economies and Irish economy have picked up, the, the bank will be pay, back paying a dividend uh, and probably a dividend of the current share price in the order of 5 or 6%. And, and you can borrow at zero. So, yeah. you know, why not hang on? Why not hang on? And look, look for a better time. I, I'm curious on it, Dave. I, I don't have a satisfactory answer. And I would love to know what the advisors to the government are saying and who they are. It could be Citibank, who are actually involved in the sale process. I'm curious. I don't have the answers there. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll leave this story now. I, th- I think it. I think it's an interesting question to leave hanging, and maybe some of our listeners will have an opinion uh, as to what they believe or even have the knowledge as to what's going on. When we talk about banks, we always therefore talk, Rory, about the future of money, the presence of money, etc. I was reading uh, today that the ECB and the Fed in the FT, it was actually during the week, have said that you know digital currencies are go- are about to come right. This is this is going this is going to happen. And the idea being that the central bank will just basically you will have a cashless economy. You will have cur- you will have kind of deposits put onto your phone or into an account, and it'll be digital. What do, what do you think is going to happen to the future of money? That's that's very interesting, Dave, and, and the way you phrase it because you know because I'm in the investment markets myself, and because I have a newsletter. I have a keen interest in finding out quickly about the uh, innovations that are coming down the line. I, I have been intrigued 
with cryptocurrencies, and we might get onto those in a, in a moment because I've been, you know, I write a lot about gold in my investment newsletter. But to go back to digital currencies, I think there's there's two big points that I would make, Dave, and I, and I would agree with you, and it makes complete sense to me that um, we will have eventually a cashless society. I think it is a it is a, a game changer for governments in terms of tax revenue yep. because it will eliminate the shadow economy or the black economy, and it will mean you know, more transparent, more robust tax revenues for government. You, you know, people might say it's a negative, but clearly, it, look, it is a positive, and particularly when they're struggling with uh, debt these days. I mean, governments do need more taxes, and that's a pretty simple way to get it. The other is that, you know, with a digital currency, you can, you essentially, for the consumer in society, you can swap bank deposits for a deposit with a central bank. So essentially, explain that to me. So does that mean like me, Dave McWilliams, has a Bank of Ireland account that I opened when I was 18 when I went to college? I think they bought me about 10 points. I think that was the incentive. I remember the time Bank of Ireland, they were giving something away for free to get students. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Although you talk about bank competition over the years, I'm, we're going back 30 years, bank deposits are what they call in economics very sticky. People actually don't change that much. You know, you you you, yeah. you get your bank deposit, you open your account, you get a credit card, la la la, and suddenly you find you're a bank customer for years, even though in your gut you think I should change. But they're sticky, right? Now, what we're talking about in this new world is no longer does David McWilliams have a Bank of Ireland or an AIB or whatever account, right? I have an account with the Irish Central Bank. Is that what we're talking about? That's what you're talking about, Dave. And that's a transformation because now you have a, a guarantee from the central bank as opposed to the bank. Yeah. And of course, the central bank is a state, which is a far better guarantee than the bank but, is. But what does this mean for the bank? Because as we know, like obviously a huge part, I mean, the banking business isn't that complicated. You take money in, and you try to make sure that you don't give out as much interest on the money you take in as the money you lend out. And the margin in the middle should be your profit, more or less. If you're saying that deposits will be sucked out of our normal banks, given to the central bank, what does it mean for the banking system? Yeah, well, let me, let, let me just correct you there for a moment, Dave, right? Um, it, should be a, it should be a simple business, shouldn't it? But I mean, the banks have a habit of making it extremely complex by going bust every Well, that's true. Years, and, right? and that's because of the difference between your deposits. It's, it, I think you, it's, a, it's a fair point to say that you've basically got what they call in economics a time mismatch, right? That your assets, you can't actually call in because let's say they're a mortgage, so it's a 30-year uh, thing, but your deposits can disappear overnight if people that's panic. right, yeah. And well, it's really, yeah, it's essentially, it's the credit risk. Yeah, so tell me uh, what happens to the bank a, now. a bank run. Yeah, tell mm-hmm. me, what, and, tell, and bank runs we know through history are just, yeah. they are part of it, they are part of the cycle. What do you think will happen to banks in a digital currency era? Well, you know, again, I have to be careful with your, your audience, um, Dave, to, to pretend that I know the future. But I think I could paint a picture where banks, you know, for the consumer, I think it is a huge positive uh, because they they can have deposits with central banks yeah. where the guarantee is is better. Certainly, a country like uh, like Ireland. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't make the same statement in uh, in you know Uzbekistan, in Turkey, but, in Venezuela, but in right? this part of the world. Yeah, in but this in part the developed the world. world, you can make that statement, right? And particularly within the eurozone, I think there's a there's a, a cleaner sense of a guarantee, and it's it's seamless, it's transparent, it's easier to deal with. I think for the banks, what it means is instead of getting the customer deposits off you. They get it off the central bank, okay, right? because they have they you know obviously that's their source of funding. So, so basically, they, they they'll 
to, to they'll borrow from the I, central I think, bank. Yeah, I think these banks will end up being lending institutions. Okay, I hear you. Actually, that and, would work quite quite nicely. It would also take out the risk. Well. It will take out the risk of the bank run in a much yes. much more right. That's so that's quite interesting. So we and could a bank go, could a, a bank could then be let go bust easily, seamlessly, transparently because. It's, you're just dealing with shareholder capital. And, and its only obligation is to the central bank, which in yes. itself can't go bust. Interesting. Yes. And do you think, now Rory, before we go, that we're on the cusp of this? Because what I'm always fascinated by money, even if you go all the way back, I mean, and we do in the podcast to the John gets bored and we talk about the Sumerians and the Egyptians and the Lydians and the original gold coming from the, the stuff I actually like. From Mark. the Pactolus River and all that carry on. This is something like but the story of money is the story of financial innovation. At every stage, somebody figures out a better way of doing things, a quicker way of doing things, a more acceptable way of doing things. And usually this coincides with the technological change of some class. Do you think we're on the cusp of something like this now, Rory? Yeah, but I, I'd like to make a distinction, Dave, if you'd allow me. I will. Um, I've always, I mean, I, I'm a close follower of gold because I, I, I'm just very interested in it. And when I look at, you know, the developments that are taking place and particularly in the cryptocurrency world, my own understanding is that, you know, true money is it serves two purposes. It serves the, the, the medium of exchange and then it has to be a store of value. And, uh, you know, gold has always been a poor medium of exchange because the price yeah. bounces around too much because of the lack of supply. Uh, but it's been a superb store of value because it's outside the banking system. Um, support, superb store of value. Uh, relative to bank deposits, say, right, which aren't trusted. Um, you know, equities and land are, are are pretty good too. But when you look at cryptocurrencies, um, and I've I've thought about this deep and long, and, and I seem to still be in a minority on this, by the way, which is a little bit frustrating. I think cryptocurrencies are a medium of exchange, but a very poor one because of the price volatility. Yeah. But they are most definitely not a store of value. And the reason I say that is because if you go back to, uh, you know, um, is it Archimedes, the Greek philosopher, who defined the five principles of money as durable, consistent, uh, convenient? Um, oh, what's the fourth? But anyway, the fifth is the one. U- after, universally accepted. Universally accepted. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Because it has, if it's um, not accepted, but, it's not money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the fifth, which is the most important in my mind in understanding this area, is it must have an alternative use value. Now, the reason that's important is because it goes back to in, what is an asset's intrinsic value. For gold, its intrinsic value is its alternative use value. If nobody wanted money, gold anymore for money, what would happen? The value of gold would go back to its production cost for jewellery. Yeah, for jewellery and orna- its, or ornamentation and whatever. Yes, and you sell, mo- you sell most of it in India, which is actually already yeah, the case. Correct, and China. They're huge buyers as well. Yeah. And that is its intrinsic value. So if, if it's never required for money anymore... If the digital currencies work and nobody wants the money anymore and all the governments are always controlling the money supply and they do it well and they never wreck up and they blah, 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 um, then gold often goes through periods where it's ignored as money. Nobody wants it as money. Uh, for, 19, for example, Dave, from 1980 to 2000, um, gold corrected by, I think it was 76% from top to bottom. Um, that's in price terms. Yeah. In, in, in inflation terms, I mean, it was nearly wiped out. Uh, now it's had a huge recovery in the in the two thousands, but there was a twenty year period there where nobody wanted gold as money. They just didn't want it; wasn't yep. needed. Everything was good. Um, in the cryptocurrency world, anyone who invests in cryptocurrencies is going to have to ask answer that question: when they're no longer required as money, as will be inevitable from time to time, where is the intrinsic or base value? 
uh, I would argue it's zero. That's not, not a thousand, not two thousand. It's zero. So all guys that are buying it, they're mixing up the medium of exchange with a store of value, in my view. We will leave it there. The Bitcoiners are going to be going mental. Uh, but I think it's a very interesting place to leave it. Rory Gillen, thank you so much indeed. Excellent stuff. All right. That was Rory Gillen there of gillenmarkets.com. That's gillenmarkets.com. Very interesting newsletter every Saturday. Usually great insights, different angles, well worth a read. So check it out. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. John, fascinating stuff on money, but I'm going to tell you about Archimedes. Archimedes, Archimedes was part of the Greek colony in Syracuse, which is now in Sicily. I right. know Syracuse very well, right. actually. Do you know it? Have you been yeah, down there? I've been there several times. Have you? Because I've never Beautiful. been there. Right. Well, we're going to really go. We'll do the podcast from there one day, yeah. right? Ortega and is the old part of Syracuse. Oh, I like that. It's really lovely. Daniel Ortega. That's where the name of the Nicaraguan communist comes from. Oh, right. Well, they, I presume so. These are, I think, but Archimedes is the fella who ran through the streets of Syracuse, roaring, Eureka, Eureka. Right? Oh, right. And the yeah, reason yeah. he did was, you know, Archimedes' principle. Yeah. Which is basically, he was trying to figure out mass. Like, he was an incredibly brilliant person. And the reason I find this even more fascinating than talking about money <laughs> is that he was a brilliant mathematician, right? Right. But he was trying to figure out mass. And he couldn't figure out how, how, how does it... And then he got into the bath, got into a full bath, and he realized that his weight displace the same yeah. amount, right? And therefore, they could actually figure out how to cantilever things, how to use engineering, how to use... So it's really, really yeah. fascinating. Really simple, but yeah. really brilliant. And, and yeah. of course, because he was such an eccentric, yeah. he jumps out of the bath in the raw, <laughs> goes down, runs through the street, and roars, Eureka, Eureka. Now, the sad story about this, right, was that... He was arrested. Play, no, he wasn't arrested. <laughs> they just thought he was. They thought he was mad. So the Greek empire was a series of city-states, right? Yeah. Plato described them as like frogs looking into a pond. 
So the pond was the Mediterranean and the mm. Aegean, littoral, as they call it. And these little states like Sicily and whatever were kind of like frogs looking in. So they were all connected. Right, that's a lovely image. So, isn't it a great yeah. image? Oh, Plato was a good man for the imagery. Good man for the imagery. But one of the great tragedies of Western culture is the following, that Archimedes and the Greeks were beginning get mathematics, right? They were mm. really beginning to get mathematics, right? Having taken it from our friends, the Egyptians, who took it from our friends, the Persians and yeah. the Sumerians, right? So it was really, who then, who, who took it from the Indians, right? right? So it was all going, it was all going on. And you know what happened? The Romans, who were this terrorizing macho force, so if the Greeks were sort of effete thinkers and philosophers. Yeah, yeah. And the Romans were macho murderers. The Romans were a big militaristic force. Yeah. And they started invading into Sicily, the old poor old Greek areas. Yeah. And didn't they kill Archimedes? They murdered him, right? Right. They murdered him as he was trying to figure out the mathematical equation on the ground, right? And that was the moment where the Romans came, destroyed all mathematics, and the Roman mathematics system has been unbelievably. Remember, like if you if you look at old yeah, old yeah, yeah, because yeah. you couldn't count. You know the old Roman numerals mm. M C X L. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. count with that shit. Yeah, you can it's only. True, yeah, yeah, you can only. You only put it on posh houses. The only thing is that people who are really aspirational <laughs> use Roman numerals for their but houses. At the end of all TV programs. All TV programs. Yeah, yeah. But isn't that? Sorry, I find this fascinating. No, no, keep going, keep going. This is this good. Is, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, this is more of my stuff, more of my stuff. But Syracuse we will go to, and we will do the podcast from there. It's a fantastic spot. And we will pay homage to Dude, Archimedes, and we will accuse the Romans, not just of genocide, but of mathicide. mathicide. Killing mathematics. Killing mathematics for an entire... <laughs> and this, but John, I'm telling you, this is really true. What actually happened was... We got Roman mathematics, right, mm. in the Dark Ages, right? The reason that we, in one of the main reasons the West went backwards in the Dark Ages is we couldn't count. Yeah. And the reason we couldn't count is we inherited this stupid system where the Greeks at the time were trying to work with the Indian system, which are the digits that we know, yeah. which changed the world. And as we know, they were eventually brought to the West by Syracuse, by Arab traders. By the Arabs, yeah. Who settled in the? As you said, they turned up with nothing. They Zero. Did. That's what the Indians said. The Indians gave the world nothing, and gave the world everything. That's another story, Mac. Archimedes. <laughs> we go back to Archimedes. That's another story. So actually, let's get back to the serious point that Rory was was making there. What what I can't quite get my head around is why is this allowed to happen? You're talking about the people's money for a start. We are talking about the people's and money. the kind of money that could fund the children's hospital or... or whatever, yeah. Or any, schools yes. or, 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 you know, a railway. It's a huge amount of money. Well, we're talking, so why is this happening now? We're talking that if he's right and his numbers look right in terms of how to value a bank from its basic, basic idea, the state is selling this asset for half of what it's potentially worth. Yeah. Right? So while we might get in 600 million from the sale, we've, we've left maybe the guts of 600 million on the table. So yeah. that means that the buyer is getting a free lunch. The seller, of course, is the Irish state, but the Irish state passes through to the Irish taxpayer. So we are funding this. So the question then is, why now? Yeah. The state doesn't need money because we are in this new world of zero interest rates. So the ECB has said, listen, guys, the spigots are open. Do what you want. We'll figure out the cost later on. Yeah, yeah. 
Bank of Ireland as a company, we know that the mortgage market in this country is going to come back, whether we like it or not, because people need houses. Mm. So the single biggest dynamo of bank lending is going to kick in again very, very soon. So therefore, the future of Bank of Ireland as an institution is probably pretty robust. Mm. It also makes money. It also has what they call tier one capital. It's covered, has raised enough money to cover potential losses. So right now, it seems what he's saying is, why would you decide to sell? And my theory is the following. Go on. We're back in the West. No, okay. Of course we are. Tarkin's here. Mick, Tony, Jim. Barry. Barry and Dara. Oh, Dara's Dara's in a now. new lad. He's in, right? Dara's a new lad, right? Powers up. Round of points. Round of points. Tarkin, we'll get the points there because Tarkin's quids in because he's advising somebody. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this is keep it in the family Irish nonsense. Go on. Again, we're back in the West Lower, mm. right? The nod, the wink, whatever you say, say nothing. What's happening is Davies, which is a, an asset that stinks as a result of them being caught with their hand on the till. And not only being caught with the hand on the till, being caught by the person that they were robbing. Not yeah. by the Irish state, yeah, who was yeah. meant to be overseen. It was the fellow they were robbing actually took them to court, right? Now, there's a massive incentive for the Davies management, who are the very people who were caught robbing, mm. to sell this asset to something else, which is a parachute for them to get out of the business. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And head down to wherever they head down to. So they are accelerating. Now, why would they be accelerating? Because they don't really want to be in a business. They want to retire. Of course, yeah. But they're being investigated by the Irish state, according to the Irish state. Yeah. Although we're not too sure how that investigation is going. There's always been the great expression that banks go bad from the inside out. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the culture destroys them. And stockbrokers go bad from the inside out. Now, if the people who are at the top of the stockbroker are actively encouraging deceit when it comes to their clients, think about the culture. It permeates down from the top. This yeah, wasn't, they didn't catch a couple of little traders having a scam. It was the chief executive, yeah. right? Like it was the top brass. So, so, so therefore the Irish state doesn't want to be owning Bank of Ireland when of course, Bank of Ireland yeah. takes over Davies. Because when Bank of Ireland takes over Davies, the story goes away. And the people in the West Lower are really happy. And they've all been paid off. Yes. And of course, the problem is the state is prepared to sell Bank of Ireland cheaply, maybe in order for them to be able to buy Davies. And if that's not the golden circle, doing its thing, I'm not too sure what is. So, so okay, I, I get that. And it just feels and sounds rotten to the core, this. So the government wants to distance, distance themselves, themselves from Bank of from, Ireland from Bank of Ireland if and when they take over Davies. To facilitate or at least clear the path. Yeah, because they don't have anything to do with Davies, yeah. the, the company well, that they're imagine, investigating. You could imagine the headline in the paper. Yeah, but on the flip side of it, why are they allowing Bank of Ireland to take over Davies? That, that is... I was about to say $64,000 question, but it worked a lot more than that. <laughs> oh, that was a lot of money in those days, but not now. That's that's the open question, you know. Who is orchestrating the whole thing? Yeah, because you don't. And is there, by the way, is there any competition to Bank of Ireland for well, buying let's, Davies? Let's go back to the West Lower. The West Lower doesn't want competition. 
You don't want foreigners coming in. Might look <laughs> in weird, dark corners and say, I'm not too sure about that. They might say, well, let's hold up that sale until we really know what happened with all the yeah. shenanigans. You don't want foreigners, John. John, but this, this is this is a local lads gig. Do, do Europe not have a say in this? Europe don't care. They're looking the other way. They're Europeans. I mean, I'm just saying, what, what we always find, you know what's really funny in, in Ireland? Yeah. Is we always say, surely the big fellas in Europe. Yeah, yeah. We've got to sort our own house out. Yeah, yeah. Like there is no higher authority. There is, exactly. <laughs> it yeah. is us. You are judged by your own behaviour. And I think if you want to get to the bottom of this, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil should take little note. They lost by election last week. Yeah. They lost by election. Fianna Fáil's vote collapsed, right? And the background noise was, whether it was right or not, was jobs for the boys, part of the establishment, the golden circle propagating themselves. If they really want to change their brands and fight an election in two years' time, yeah. they've got to come clean or at least analyse what's going on here. They need to drain the swamp. John, I know <laughs> you'd come back to him. I know you're missing him. I know you're missing him. <laughs> He's not gone. He's not forgotten. He will be back. <laughs> and the problem is, if we drain the swamp, yeah. what replaces it? Just a quick note to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And if you fancy supporting us on Patreon, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. 